This is the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with me, Dr. Fuck, and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley. So come on and let's go and enjoy another episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast! Well, hey, hey, I'm back. This is Dr. Fuck, and uh, I'm here with. Yeah! Ian Wadley from. Uh, New Orleans, and his name is the Ayatollah of Alcohola, and that that that's that's all me, man. I came up with that. There you go. You're known as the Ayatollah of Rock and Roll, of Alcohola, because of me. Of alcohol. That's right. So, how you um, been, man? I, I I noticed you did the news without me last week. Well, you know, when, when you got taken up by the mothership, uh, I had no choice. I had to call in... Uh, Gully from the rock show with Gully and Joe, and uh, I think he did a pretty damn good job. I really enjoyed it. Matter of fact, I think you should do the news for an hour without me. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but I want to thank Gully for for subbing in your absence. And, he did a good uh, job. I actually was the one that edited that episode. Uh, well, the news segment. You, you know, we only had half an hour, and you sent me like an hour long news yeah. segment. So I chopped that shit up like a motherfucker. <laughs> Seriously, you guys babbed too. You guys went a little too long. You got a little too long in the tooth. But as you guys listened to the last episode, that new segment was kick ass because I, I I just left in the new the good juicy stuff that these guys talked about. And I and I liked your report. If if anything was ever happened to me, like if a if a, a, a kidney stone comes flying out of my my belly like an alien and I die, Gully's the guy to get, man. I, I don't know. I had to give him 20, 20 quid to even do it, so I don't know if I can afford him. And I'm free. He, he's a major talent. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, before we get into the show this week, I have something very, very important to talk about. Uh, it's a guy that's um, that's on the Almost Human 56 Facebook page. His name is Jason Perk. I don't know if you're aware of this, Ian. No, but I'm not. Jason Perk is a fan of my YouTube videos and uh, my KISS videos and he tells me like it makes him it brightens his day I don't know I'm not sure if he listens to the podcast I gotta ask him but he is at the moment fighting stage 4 terminal cancer oh no so he is he's a fighter and I have um, faith that he is gonna beat it it sounds grim when you hear the word uh, you know stage 4 terminal cancer Yes. And, um, but, you know, everybody on the page has been very supportive toward him. And I want to thank, thank everybody on the Almost Human 56 page because we are like family over there and everybody was showing a lot of support to him. And he, and I just recently put up a, a kiss video on my Almost Human page and I dedicated it to him. And he just put up a post like an hour or so ago talking about how, you know, he didn't know that was going to happen. He was sitting with his wife watching it. White started crying. He thanked me about it. And, you know, it's very touching, man, to know, you know, somebody that he actually beat cancer and it came back. Oh, man. So this is, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that he's going to beat it. And I'll ask him, I'll tell him to start listening to our show if he doesn't, because I know he's a fan of the Almost Human 56, um, YouTube page. And, um, I think he should be mentioned regularly. Everybody out there, you know, I don't know how good the healing power is, but hey, man, I'll try anything. So if you're listening right now, please send positive vibes to Jason Perk. 
and his family yes. for him to, you know, beat it, man. He did it before. Let's let's see him do it again. Yes. Know? And uh, yeah, man. So this this episode, I'm dedicating to Jason Perk. I'm dedicating everything to Jason Perk for now on because he's on. He's on my mind, man, and, it, and it's really crushing to me that you know he has to go through this. But just to let, just for him to go out of his way and let me know how I br- somehow brighten his day is the greatest, greatest thing I can ever hear from anybody. I've heard stories from people in wheelchairs, a wheelchair that liked my stuff. Another person lost his. No, actually, that was the podcast. We had somebody that lost like their uncle or something like that, right, Ian? And he was like a fan of the podcast, and we brightened yeah. his day. And yeah. yeah, there's people that, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast as well that they're going through a lot of personal issues and family issues and deaths and family. And we somehow, uh, you know, brighten their day. And to me, man, that means more than fucking money and, and, and how many hits we get. You know, if we could just brighten that one guy's day that's going through all that hard time, it really makes it feel like this is all worth it, you know? Yeah, and we, we've gotten a lot of those. And, uh, man, that means everything. I mean, there, there's days I've got stuff on my phone that I just, you know, that I won't delete that I save that people send because I can't believe something. We just do, you know, for kicks and fun and our love of this music, you know, we don't realize the impact we have and, and the power of just making somebody laugh, you know, and, you know, take their mind off the negativity you know the power of that it's, it's amazing it's greatest greatest thing we could ever do yeah awesome all right so uh everybody please uh send positive keep keep uh keep jason perk in your thoughts and if you're into prayer please add him to your prayer and uh and more power to jason perk okay so uh this shows for you buddy uh one more thing i want to talk about is uh I finally got the test pressing for the Thresher Die vinyl. How this works is that, you know, the people that make the vinyl, they make a test pressing. They send it to me, and I have to okay it. And then and then when I okay it, they start making it. So when I got the test pressing, I got to say, man, I am beyond floored how awesome this vinyl sounds. I was like, dude, this is beyond amazing. I, it's just, it's just mind-blowing how good it sounds on vinyl. That yeah, Monday uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, Monday I gave the okay. So in about three months we're gonna have um, we're gonna have the Thrasher Die vinyl out. I also wanna give a little shout out to the Pantera Project, who's um, who we've had um, what's his name? Kirsten. Yeah, we have Kirsten on the, on the show, and uh, he asked me to be part of uh, the Pantera CD tribute. Where all the money goes to Ride for Dime, it's a charity uh, under the name of Dimebag, and um, uh, he was nice enough to have even Combat uh, record a song, and we did record it. I still haven't done vocals, but uh, just to let you guys know, Thrasher Die did Primal Concrete Sledge, and uh, Combat did Pussy Tight, and uh, so and and believe me, the, the so far it sounds fucking amazing. So. And uh, I, I, I thought you were doing 13 Steps. We were. Al, uh, my great drummer, Alex Marquez, came up with the idea to do 13 Steps. And then he ended up saying, no, he doesn't want to do it. Uh, well, ah, I mean, they're all, drummers. They're all great songs. Yeah, so, you know, I, 
I brought up Primal Concrete Sledge, and he was like, oh, I know that. I can play that with arms. But, you know, actually, that, that song's pretty uh, pretty crazy, drum-wise, if you listen to it. And the vocals are so fast. I'm going to really have to practice for that one. But Pussy Tight, we, we already rehearsed as a combat, and that's a real easy, such a fun song. I love Pussy Tight. So, uh, yeah, and we recorded a couple other things. Combat recorded a song an original song called Out of Control that will be on the compilation CD, only available on the compilation CD, which will also uh, feature a rare Thrasher Die tune that you won't get, be able to get anywhere else. And the only way you can get this compilation CD is by pre-ordering the vinyl at www.miamimetalmerchant.com. Believe me, just like that Merciful Fate, I said I was not going to make any more, and I stood by, by it, and I'm telling you right now, you can't get this song anywhere else. And the combat as well. We may re-record the combat song, but this version, which is an original version, is only going to be available on this. And plus, there's going to be a host of other great South Florida bands on this compilation CD. So again, www.miamimerchant.com. And now, Ian, I'll let you speak. What's going on? Well, I, I just want to say I can't wait to get my copy. And I don't even have a fucking record player, but someday I will have one again. But, uh, and I paid for mine, by the way, and everybody should pay. I, I could have got a free one, but, man, I want to support what you did. It's an incredible album. Uh, I, I see a lot of people talking about their, uh, you know, top albums of the year. Man, if this one ain't in your top five, you need to fucking re-listen to it again because cause it's a fucking incredible album. I'm very proud of you, Ralph. Thank you. And I'm, I'm very proud, you know, to, 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 to give you money to pay for this, and not only for you, but all the other great musicians you know, uh, 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 Alex and uh, and Ryan and everybody else on it, man. Y'all did an amazing job, and uh, hey, I'm very very proud of you. It's a great fucking metal record, man. Thank you Love very it. much. And I just want to let you know that uh, you couldn't get a free vinyl. You can get a free CD off me, but this vinyl is being financed by Miami Metal Merchant, and all the money for that is going to go into the Poser Holocaust vinyl. So. Uh, I'm sure I'm gonna get a free vinyl, but and the band members, but you know everything else. This guy's got to make some money off. He financed it, so you know I want people to make money. You know uh, him to make money, and hopefully we can do what we did with the CD and sign it. The whole band members, and you know charge like five bucks extra. You know what's the point? What, what what's the point of not paying five bucks extra to get an album signed by five members that are hardly with each other? Exactly. I even want mine signed by Ruben De La Rosa just because I love that guy. Uh, well, you can, uh, you know, actually, Ruben <laughs> De La Rosa's band Necromaniac is going to be on that uh, compilation CD with an amazing song they wrote called "Back Backstreet Heavy Metal." It's it's fucking awesome. It's already done. I heard it. It was recorded in the same studio. It's such a badass fucking song that man. That song alone is worth the CD. But uh, yeah, I'll have Ruben. Ruben's, Ruben wrote uh, one and a half songs, uh, lyric-wise, on the latest Thrasher Die album. Well, uh, let's get into iTunes reviews. Uh, we have a new iTunes review, and uh, wow, I don't know what to say, but this one kind of shocked me. This is by Terrence Reardon. Oh, you mean yes. our, uh, the guy that used to be on our show? Yes, Terrence Reardon gave us a five-star review. That's awesome. Uh, See that? Yeah. Go ahead. And uh, it's entitled, Superb Show and Proud of the Show. 
He says, and I quote, I know I was a founder of the show. Oh, God. Why, why do you have to say that, Terrence? Go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, I, I don't like that he has to say that. Okay. No, okay, you I'm, were asked to be part of the show. You weren't a founder. Okay. You were I'm more just, like a flounder, like in Animal House. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's funny you mentioned that. Hold on. Let me read the review. He says, I know I was a founder of the show. God. But I sounded like a fish out of water when I was there. Although, <laughs> okay, good. Although Ian and I don't get along anymore, <laughs> I, I still find the show classic, and I listen to all episodes from June 2015 forward and love them. And then in parentheses it says, hard for me to listen to the November 14th through April 15th episodes. Uh, I just want to go on record... Terrence, I do not hate you. I do not hate you. But you know what? Your life is better without me in it. And and, and I'm saying that as a friend. Okay? Uh, I don't hate you. I, I think you were wrong for the show. Uh, from the start, I thought you were wrong from the show. I don't hate you, Terrence. So just so you know, that that gives you any closure. I don't hate you, but I hated you on the show. And I, I, I hope you... There's a difference, but uh, you and know, and I, also I also want to add, Terrence, I have seen you write how you you know you and Ian had a falling out, and you keep like you know with this little, uh, what is it, trying to build a bridge to to have a friendship with Ian again. I mean, Ian said it right there. He thinks it's better off, like he doesn't hate you, but it's better off not to be. He doesn't want to be your friend. And please, can you stop? bringing this up about how Ian hates you because actually maybe not to Ian but to me it sounds a little offensive like you know oh, Ian hates me but you, you know you know why Ian hates you okay there is a reason behind it so don't don't act like a victim that much and Terrence you know I'm your friend and I tell you as it is that you even thank me to bring up when you do like uh, weird things so this one, I'll forgive you for it, but it is right on the tightrope, you know? All right. You know, here, here's something I want to say. And, uh, Terrence, to show you how much I don't hate you, that's the reason I haven't come on your show. Because if I go on your show, yeah, you might get some more plays. But you know what's going to happen? More people are just going to rag you, and, and they're going to say how bad you suck. And that's all that's going to happen out of me going on your show. Right. So you you do your own thing without me. Uh, you know, there's some people out there that, that like you or whatever. But me coming on your show, all I would do is more people would come out and fuck with you. And that's what I mean by you're better off without me as a friend. I don't wish you any ill will. You know, do what you do. Have fun. But that's, that's why I don't do what I do is because I... I, I in my own fucking weird ass way, I do care, and and, and I, I goof on you, I joke on you, but that that's that's just me. That's my my fucked up sense of humor. That's my own personality. I wish you the best, but me coming on 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 you and Mark's terrible show would only make things worse. And I say that as a joke. That's me. Okay. Uh, where no, where uh, where I will go on your show, Terrence. Uh, but here here's the thing. There's a difference between Ian, and I totally stand by what Ian says, why he won't go on your show, because, you know, Ian, is, and, you know, he goofs on you, this and that, I don't, therefore, I'll go on your show, and also, 
If anybody thinks you suck by listening to a show because I'm on, fuck them. Well, there we go. Any, regardless, Terrence, thanks for your review. It's it's much oh, better yeah. than... No, not, not only thanks for your review. Thank you very much for the five stars. That's yes. very nice of you. That's much better than the one star you previously put up. We, I'm glad you took it down and replaced oh, it. Oh, did he? You see, that was that was another nice thing he did. The one star, that was a total shitty move. And, uh, and, and in Terrence's defense, uh, we used to tease him about being homophobic, but hey, he does a show with Mark Allen Taylor, so obviously he has a change of heart. Oh, man, that was... Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, Mark will laugh at it. Mark Mark does have a good sense of humor. Shitty taste in uh, Sammy Hager albums, but uh, but a good heart and a good sense of humor. Yowzers. Oh, anyway. I, also, I also want to plug my new page on Facebook. It's it's a hit. Uh, I made a page called, um, oh, what's it called now? <laughs> Every Type of Music or some shit yes. like that. Yes, And, uh, oh, my God, it got spammed so hard that I had to, like, put new rules. Like, hey, only one video an hour. Because people just went horse apeshit. But it's a really, really cool page. And I've discovered a lot of cool new shit. I didn't, I didn't even know. Because a lot of obscure shit being put up. So check it out. Just uh, every type of music. I don't know what the fuck it's called. Yeah. I, I wasn't invited, so I took the hint. <laughs> I didn't invite anybody. I put it on the pages uh, for people to join. Uh, I didn't even see it. I, I saw it on somebody else's page. I was like, oh, okay. But uh, no, I think that's a great idea. Somewhere you can post everything. That's great because, uh, you know, I love all types of music. So best of luck on your new page, brother. Well, you, if you want to join it, join it, dude. Nobody's... I, I Dude, ask... Look, Justin, all those fuckers, they, I didn't invite nobody. They all went on themselves. They asked to be part of it, and I added them. Justin told me you already got in trouble on your page. So yeah, I'm he like, did. Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> he, no, not really in trouble, but he he, he, he did kind of goof on Mark a little bit. He said he got sent to the principal's office. Yeah, I said, I said, no, he attacked Mark in a playful way, but I go, Justin, report to the office. And Mark, uh, you got detention for shits and giggles. <laughs> and Mark liked it. He laughed, and and then I told Justin to write, um, "I'm sorry" a hundred times on the board. Well, there you go. Check out Ralph's page that nobody knows what the name of it is, but uh, it's all great... types, all types of music. I think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but it's a great idea. Great idea for a yeah. Page. It's awesome, dude. I mean, we we put up shit from like you know like pop and country and. You name it, you know, it's like all types of music, but I also have rules. Like, you know, you if you see shit you hate, ignore it. And you know what? Oh, you know what Justin put up? A Sammy Hagar thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> a, I, what a I little, hate, what a little hate, drama queen he is. I hate Justin. Jesus. <laughs> and again, and then somebody attacked him, and I go, hey, let, if, if it's something you guys hate, ignore it. And I, anything's anything's a go on my page as long as you really like it. Don't put up shit that you think sucks as a goof because I will delete. Yeah. Justin Childers set West Virginia back twenty fucking years, and that's pretty hard to do. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Alrighty. Well, let's get into some news. And uh, wow, news this week. Well, we haven't even got done recovering from the loss that not like we'll ever get over the loss of Lemmy. But, uh, you know, maybe not all you metalheads, but a lot of people I've seen on the page are uh, mourning the loss of David Bowie. And, uh, wow, that, 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 was a, that was a tough one for me. And what a back-to-back. -back. 
I mean, two people that I, I respect so much. Uh, they couldn't be more polar opposites. But, uh, but both had incredible integrity to me. Uh, I love David Bowie. To me, he was a true artist that did so many different, uh, you know, eras of music. And every time he had a hit with one, he would just switch and go to another. And I, I think that's the mark of a true artist. Instead of relying on, hey, you know, this sold a few records. This this was popular. I'm just going to rehash this. Uh, you know, much like Neil Young, Prince, or Frank Zappa, I, I consider them true artists that just keep reaching out to try something different. Whether they fail or not, they never stop trying to do art. And uh, he's a true rock and roll original. Even, uh, you know, it comes out now, he knew he was dying when he put out these last two records. And man, this one, you know, came out just a couple days after it was released. And it's just, uh, it's very sad, but uh, it's, it's a sad fact that our era's getting older, man. And I got a bad feeling like you're gonna start seeing rock rock stars that we love dropping like flies because they're just getting to that age. I mean, it it shocks a lot of people that Lemmy and Bowie are dead, but you know, you know, Lemmy was 70, Bowie was 69. I mean, these, you know, nobody's getting younger, but uh, it doesn't lessen the blow when it's music that you've grown up with artists that you love and, and hold in such high esteem when they're gone and there's nobody new taking their place you know really there there's no new artists that i know of i mean there, there's a few new bands that i love but mostly they're bands with retro sounds i mean there's nobody creating a new sound that i'm like oh wow that's new and exciting and amazing the newer bands that i like are ones that are kind of rehashing sounds that i love so to me, it was very, very sad and depressing. I'm thankful I got to see him live. Unfortunately, only once, but I am a huge, huge David Bowie fan. And man, this right on top of Lemmy, uh, you know, and, 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 and Scott Weiland before them, you know, was another artist that uh, I really admired. And uh, man, it's rough. A rough start to this year already, for me at least. Uh, do you have any thoughts you'd like to say about David Bowie, Ralph? Yeah, um, I'm a I'm a child of the '70s, so I'm very aware, well aware of David Bowie. Now, I was tagged on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast by I'm not even going to mention his name. Uh, oh, you'll never do a show because Ralph's not the biggest David Bowie fan. Well, to tell you the truth, I was fan enough to go see him live. Uh, I, there is a a handful of songs that I really do enjoy from David Bowie. Did I go out? And buy any of his records? Do I own every, any David Bowie records? No, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a fan all of a sudden. Because the guy died. But I will say that I'm a big fan of like... Um, dude, Space Oddity. Well, the second version. That first one. I didn't like it all. Um, I love that song. I've always loved that song. And actually, I'll, I'll look for it. I actually sang it karaoke uh, on a karaoke CD. I actually do have a performance of me doing it. Like six years ago, so I love that song. That I, I want to hear. I, I do have it. it. I do have it, and I have just I have spools of CDs. It's in one of those. I did a bunch of different songs, and that was one I love. I love "Ashes to Ashes," the man that sold uh, the, the, sold the world. Um, 
Gene Genie was another song I liked. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, when the Glass Spider tour came, and again, I'm not here to bash David Bowie. I think the guy, everything you just said about him was great. And I do agree. But you know what? He, I couldn't roll with him, man. There was a lot of changes he did. Like, I couldn't get into Let's Dance and, you know, China Girl and stuff like that. I just couldn't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm this big fan. But I was a big enough... I was a big enough fan that I did lay down money to go see the Black, the Glass Spider tour at the Orange Bowl, and he didn't play not one song I liked. Not none of my favorites were played that, except for Ashes to Ashes. But he didn't play Space Oddity or you know any of the Siggy Stardust. He he really, and that was a big disappointment to me. But I recently found out that he played the Revolution up in Fort Lauderdale, and I played that stage a year ago. So. And that stage had Motorhead, Ronnie James Dio, Rob Halford, uh, King Diamond. You know, all these people played on stage. And David Bowie played on stage, and so did I. So there you go. I did share the stage with, oh, Fame. That was another song I loved that he wrote with John Lennon. That was another song that was fucking awesome. He was all over the radio as a kid. So I may not be this big fan, but unlike Faith No More, I'd be willing to listen to a fucking... David Bowie album name the album and we'll review it I'll be down to do it you know because I mean I will I will sit down but you know uh, Ian brought it to my attention a lot of people want a Faith No More review now I don't want to do a Faith No More review but I will be part of the program but I'm not going to sit down and study an album from a band I don't like and if you have a problem with me not liking them go slap your mother because she raised a fucking idiot thank you all right, uh, and one thing I'll say, I appreciate your honest opinion of Bowie, because that's how I feel about uh, Freddie Mercury. I am not a huge Queen fan, and, and probably a lot of people don't understand that. But I respect Freddie Mercury. Even I listened to one. Uh, my girl, my girl's a huge David Bowie fan, and uh, she wanted to listen to this version she found on YouTube. That's David Bowie and uh, Freddie doing Under Pressure acapella. Don't I, use I, I actually heard it. It was on my newsfeed. Oh my god! It was it was amazing. It was amazing, and Freddie sounded incredible. No, the the mixture of both those voices oh, were yeah. incredible. It was, you know, like Freddie was incredible, but to me, I think David Bowie was even better because of the emotional value. Even though Freddie's emotional was like at its peak too. I mean, I give uh, Freddie a solid ten. I'd give. David Bowie a 10 and a quarter and I'm not saying this because he just died I think like it's very monotone and it really does fit the song in a little David Bowie made that song eerie and more emotional for me where where Freddie was just like the jelly to his peanut butter you know I'll eat a pe- I'll eat a fucking spoon of peanut butter but not a spoon of jelly you know what I mean that both together was awesome Wow, that, that, that's an amazing analogy. That's very good. Thank you. Uh, unlike uh, unlike Mick Jagger and David Bowie on Dancing on the Streets. But let's respect the great David Bowie, and let's not get into that one. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, I love Bowie. I love Jagger. That song's terrible. I don't even like when Van Halen does it. So no, I, I love what Van Halen does it. But, uh, but uh, no, I thought that's a great analogy. And yes, once and for all, for people listening... Uh, we're probably not going to do a fade no more. And Ralph brought up a, a great point uh, in, a, in a thread on our page that he has no problem doing a, 
an album that he hates by a band that he loves, but he doesn't want to do an album he doesn't like by a band he hates. And I understand that and I respect that. So we probably will not do a Fade No More review, even though I love the band Ralph does it. And I wouldn't want to do, you know, I, I don't want to do a fucking, I don't, I don't know, a Creed album. An know? Elvis album. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would probably do it just a goof, but, uh, but uh, I get that, and I, I respect that that's his opinion, and uh, uh, I appreciate your, you know, your honesty on on David Bowie and how you felt, and I think I think that's awesome, and that's exactly how I feel about Freddie Mercury. And there's probably a lot of people, oh my God, how can you not? Hey, dude, it's just not my bag. Is the dude talented? Yeah, dude, I'll give him all this. That voice, oh my God, is amazing. But I'd say ninety percent, maybe not ninety, but eighty percent of Queen, dude, I just ain't there. But I respect it. And I respect what they did, and uh, and I, I love the respect that Ralph showed uh, for David Bowie. And I know we already did picks of the week and stuff for this episode, but uh, one thing, if you know, if people are like interested in going out and checking David Bowie, because a lot of people, we got to go check out Motorhead after the, the Motorhead, the Lemmy episode, said, "Oh, I was a casual fan, or only knew this," and and they really loved how we played lesser known tracks, and it made them go and search out. Motorhead and everybody has said like wow I can't believe I wasn't into them earlier uh, if you're into more like the classic rock kind of thing an album I would really recommend is Hunky Dory uh, you know the biggest hit off of that is Changes but there's some great great songs the album's all over the map from folk to rock to all kinds of shit amazing there's another and, song on Hunky Dory name it that I, that I really liked uh, Life on Mars. That's the one. That's the oh, one. yeah, beautiful song. That's Queen a very Bitch. mellow, cool song. Yeah, song song from Bob Dylan. There's all kinds of great shit on there. And if you're into more experimental type shit, one of my favorite albums is Low, uh, which was the first album of his Berlin trilogy with uh, you know Brian Eno, Tony Visconti producing. An amazing album. Uh, once again, a, a true artist that was more about the art and, you know, he did some pop albums, but what's funny is by the time he did, like, Let's Dance and Pop Album, it was just as weird for him to do a pop album as anything else because he was so fucking weird. He was a true artist, and uh, I love David Bowie. I, I gotta say, though, man, that song that he released two days before he died was amazing. Oh, Lazarus? Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't like Black Star at all. That one just uh, went way I, I, over I, my head. I tell you what, Black Star. The first time I heard it, I was like, I was like, wow. Uh, it was very. It wasn't accessible because the album he did before that was all over the place, but it was accessible. Black Star was like kind of weird. I've grown to love it, but Lazarus right off the bat. I yeah, like I liked it the first time I heard it, and you know, I mean, I got sucked into it because the day he died, and they said, oh man, look at this video. He's giving hints. You know, right. of, of him dying. So I watched it, and you know what, man? If he was alive, and I would have seen that video, because b believe it or not, I did watch the Black Star video when it was when I first saw it on my newsfeed. I was yeah. interested. I go, okay, David Bowie, I haven't heard from in so many years. I, I when was the album before Black Star? How long ago was that? Uh, two years before. Okay, I thought the guy's been gone for twenty years. It shows you I'm not a big fan. I'm not up to date. Well, well, well he did. He he was he took like ten years off. And then as as you come to find out now, he was just, he was like, hey, I'm retired. And then when he found out he had cancer, he's like, 
I need to make some music. So right. the first the first album he made was the next day, and he did it very quietly, very under wraps. He didn't come out and say he was sick because he wanted no sympathy, no pity, no attention. He's like, I'm going to die. I want to make some music before I die. Exactly like Freddie Mercury. No and, for and, no. And, Freddie Mercury yeah. announced he had AIDS the day before he died. I don't know if you're right. Right, you knew this. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but, uh, well, ne- like I said, Next Day is, is accessible and artistic at the same time. This one is very much, it, it's a grower, but I've been listening to it a lot. And I really love, but I love all areas of Bowie. But, uh, yeah, huge loss. But, like I said, I'm still not over the loss of fucking Lemmy Kilmeister. And, uh, man, Ralph, did you did you watch the... Uh, I saw not- I saw a repeat of it because I had to... Oh. I, had to I had band practice that day, but that was also the day I got the test pressing. But they, I did see the repeat of it, and... I did see it all, but the Dave Grohl part, the audio like fell out, so I still haven't seen what Dave Grohl had to say. That, that kind of happened in the live thing. I think it was it was a glitch, or was parts that fell out. But man, when his son got up and talked, you know, his son was the first uh, person to talk. Yeah, Rob Halford like almost made me cry. Oh man, I tell you what, his son's the one that killed it for me. Yeah, it was cool what he said. He was up there for a while too. Yeah, and uh, man, that that was rough. I. Uh, you know, I just got done recording the news for last week's segment, uh, last week's episode, and uh, then I'm sitting here waiting to watch it on my TV, and it, you know, it, there was like a half hour after it was supposed to start, started, and man, I was just feeling real melancholy and shit, and I told my, my girls downstairs, I said, bring me up a Lemmy, she's like, what? I'm like, Jack and Coke, it's a Lemmy now, bring me up a Lemmy, and I was like, bring me up two Lemmys. And man, right after it was done, I went out and bought me another bottle of Jack, which I don't even drink. And I was like, oh, man, it just ripped my heart out. And I made my old lady watch the Lemmy movie with me. And uh, it was very tearful, for for me at least, man. It it was hard because that's, man, I I love me some David Bowie, but man, I, I respect Lemmy just as much, dude. Lemmy was so important. And... I'm glad he's important to everybody else. I'm glad people are discovering his music now. Unfortunately, it's, you know, you discover it when he's gone. I wish he would have got more credibility when he was here. But uh, it was amazing. And a lot of people talked about, like, well, why wasn't Phil Campbell there? Why wasn't Fast Eddie there? And I was one of those. I I was waiting for that. As it turns out, Phil Campbell wasn't cleared by his doctor to travel by plane because if you've been paying attention, they had to cancel a few shows not too long ago because of Phil Campbell's health. They haven't released what his medical condition was, but his doctor, you know, as a lot of people, like, like pregnant women can't fly and people under certain medical conditions are not advised to fly and he wasn't cleared for flying. And, and what, and what, and what, uh, what the hell did Fast Daddy do? Because he can't get a visa. Because he did something fucked up. What was it? Uh, he, he didn't announce exactly what he does, but I think there's some bust there. And uh, I will, and this is something I'll attest to. I have a great friend from England. And, you know, it, it, in a post-9-11 world, you just, if you're in another country, you cannot just jump on a plane. I mean, you have to get these visas. Shit has to be cleared, and it doesn't happen overnight. Uh 
You know, it's like like for an American, it's like going to the DMV. You're not out of there in five minutes. You know, it's hell. And, and to get a visa to travel outside your country in this day and age. Uh, you know, but I was happy to find out why it happened. You know, because I really wanted to hear from him. And it's so sad that we only have one living member of that classic lineup left. And I tell you, when something happens to Fast Eddie, Jesus Christ, I don't know what I'm going to do. But uh, you can now see... You don't call it a review. I guess a recept. I don't know what the fuck you call it. But anyway, you can see it in its entirety on YouTube. And uh, I highly suggest you watch it with some strong liquor and a box of Kleenexes. Because, uh, man, that, that was a rough one. But I, I was glad to see people pay respect. And I was so happy Gene Simmons was in the front row but didn't get up to speak. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because I the last thing I wanted was, you know, it's nice Gene was there. The last thing I wanted was Gene to get up there and just start talking about himself and to try to sell some kiss shit, which I'm sure he would have done. Uh, nah, come on, man. I saw him on CNN uh, yesterday talking about David Bowie. Not once did he plug kiss. Did you well, see I'm, that, by the way? It was very touching, actually. Uh, I, 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 saw, I saw the clip of what he said. I didn't see the actual uh, video. but He said you a know, really lot, lot of nice things, how David Bowie, how he met him, and... Kiss weren't famous yet, and he was very nice to him. Invited him in to watch him record, and uh, said, "Very nice to meet you." And 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 you know, and this is a young Gene Simmons, and it's stayed with him all this time. And you yourself told me that when you met Gene, he was a very nice guy. And Gene well, says that he got yeah. that from David Bowie. Like, you yeah. know, he saw how what an effect it had on him. That he pretty much like that's how he treated his fans. Uh, Kudos to Gene and kudos to, to, to David Bowie for being like that. And also kudos to Lemmy's son who brought up the fact that Lemmy was a fan of ABBA. Take that, bitches. All yeah. you fucks that give me shit. Lemmy liked ABBA, therefore your opinion's invalid. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, another one that's getting all over the internet today is the whole uh, Metallica suing this Canadian cover band. Over the trademark. Have you seen the story, Ralph? Yeah, I find it extremely annoying and retarded. The Napster thing I can stand by, but this one I can't. Uh, now this, I, I, I kind of wonder, it's a Canadian tribute band that was served a cease and desist from uh, Metallica's lawyers about using the trademark. And, and first of all, I want to say, fuck Sandman for using the horrible... 90s Metallica logo that was terrible. Oh, did they? Oh, then yeah, they that, deserve to get sued. That's what it is. It's like the load reload Metallica logo. They they do Sandman, but they got those horrible. It, it, oh, this yeah, just Metallica that, trying to erase their past. I don't blame yeah. them now. Yeah, but uh, and they call themselves Sandman. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. Oh, fuck that band. <laughs> so a, a, a lot of people, you know, it's 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 like Napster point, you know, two o or whatever, you know, like oh Metallica this, but I really kind of wonder if Metallica even had anything to do with this. I really think it's probably the lawyers. No, Metallica has to be the most hand-on band ever. So if they're gonna really? get sued by lawyers, you know Lars is behind it. Come on. Well, could be. I mean, he did sue. Uh, oh God, what was he sued? Uh, 
was it? Uh, Victoria's Secrets for having a lipstick called Metallica. Uh, they sued. Uh, was it Ralph Lauren for having a fragrance? Uh, you know, a perfume called Metallica. Uh, but this seems like, I don't, I don't know, maybe Lars is behind this, but, you know, this shit came from the lawyers. I, I mean, I don't get it. I mean, it's a tribute band. You know, and like the guy from the tribute band even pointed out, tribute bands make little to no money. Uh, nobody wants to fuck you because you're in a tribute band. <laughs> you know, you're, not only are you not getting money, you're not even getting laid because you're in a tribute band. There's nothing more lame than a tribute band. Well, did you know uh, that Lars actually sued Metallica for being part of Lulu? I don't think you knew that, did you? Oh, no, no. He yeah. stood by that shit. It's like, fuck, and fuck that band, dude. I, You know, I don't even like tribute bands to start with. I really don't. I, no offense, Ian. But I just don't, you know? I didn't, Hey, I was the one who said fuck tribute bands. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you're in that fucking Eddie and the Boozers. Yeah, but that's different. Yeah, that is true. You, you can overlook that. Yeah, you know the thing is that Eddie, uh, what is it? John Caffrey can't even afford a lawyer. That's why you're I, doing. Yeah. You're okay. Why do, you, why do you think I picked that? Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I have a better lawyer than John Caffrey. Yeah, I'm thinking of starting a spin doctors tribute band. Yeah, there you go. They, they don't have a leg to stand on. You can do you can do two princes anywhere. Say you wrote it, and they can't say shit. <laughs> exactly, because they can't afford shit. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, take it however you want. Uh, here's another pathetic Dave Mustaine story. No wonder we never get Megadeth on this show, because I'm such a prick. Uh, Dave Mustaine said in an interview that uh, he still hopes that Megadeth gets in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No. Yes. He said that? Yeah. yeah wait, yes. wait, wait, wait. He's not in the Hall of Fame because Metallica's in. He didn't get no credit for that? No, no, they only put... Now, here, here's the thing with the Hall of Fame. This is what's so horrible. Another thing that's so horrible about the Hall of Fame. Some bands, they let them pick, like, hey, whoever you want to induct will induct. Other bands, they tell you who you're going to induct. Like, like Parliament got in there, and there's like, fucking 37 people. You know, Bruce Springsteen got in there, and so did all the E Street Band. But they actually, tell- actually, E Street Band got uh, inducted uh, separately. Right, right. But, <laughs> but but they told Kiss it could only be the original four, and that right. was it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and they dictated, you know, Deep Purple's going in this year, and they dictated who they could. Be oh in. yeah, Nick Simpler was excluded. Yes, that's yes. so funny. And they, the, Rod Evers is, is included, right? Yes, Nick Simpler. <laughs> Nick Simpler is the only member of the first three lineups that's oh, not included. Oh boy. Uh, but so. So anyway, he was talking about like what he thought about the Grammys, and he's goofing on the Grammys, like, oh yeah, they're clueless. And but he's like, but I would still like to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But then he said, if I don't, I don't care because I'm in there anyway. I know I'm not in there with Metallica, but I should be because without me, there's no Metallica. And, well, he you know, does. I mean, I don't think he has a point, but, but you know, there might have been a Metallica, but there sure wouldn't have been a Kill 'Em All. Oh, yeah, no, no, and, and I agree with him to a point, but it's every time he says it, it just sounds so sad, and, like, but it's always, like, he's always got to keep up with fucking Metallica. It's like, oh, God. But, again, it just shows you. If you sell enough records, Rolling Stone will let you pick your list. If you're in there, but you haven't sold enough records, 
they tell you who goes in. No, so I don't think. I, I think it's more like if you're metal or you're hard rock, they'll tell you who that can go in. If you're Bruce Springsteen and 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 favorites uh, Parliament or whatever, that, then they can they give you cop blanche. Well, well, no, I, I've seen it with some some lesser known bands, but ones that they admire, they let pick. You know, and, and it's just. It just shows you how fucking horrible yeah, it is. Yeah, but Metallica like, sold more than Parliament. And, well, maybe not more than Springsteen, but I'm sure right, they're neck and neck. Right, but but here's here's the thing, you know. With and I love me some Parliament, dude. I have every Parliament album, I have every Funkadelic album, I have all this shit. When it comes to a black band, they ain't gonna tell you shit because if they tell you shit, it's racist. Well, it's true though. That is yeah, racist. It, right, but I'm saying that's that's how they are. That's why you see all these rappers in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that they shouldn't be in the Rock and Roll They should be in the Rap Hall of Fame. I have no problem with that. But now they include uh, rappers to show you that they're not racist. Like NWA is going in. You know, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's not the Rap Hall of Fame. No, but, but by them inducting NWA, it shows you that those guys at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame don't have a racist bone in their body. Right. They will let you park their car you know, they'll let you fucking, you know, cut their grass. They'll let they you fuck their wives. Yeah, they don't want, they won't let, well, yeah, as long as you do it in a hotel, they won't let you in your house. But they're not racist people. No, Jesus they'll let they'll let their, their wives get gangbanged by NWA. Right. Hey, show- hey, even with EZE, they would have. Uh, unprotected. Yeah. Shows, you, shows you how they're not racist. Am yeah. I wrong for saying that? Is it too soon? No, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm... I'm big anti-racism, but man, when you do it just to show you're not racist, sometimes that shows how racist you really are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're, you're just showing your white guilt, okay? It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Deep Purple should have been in there the first year they were eligible. Fuck them. And Dave Mustaine, Megadeth is not getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sorry to, to say. You know, Deep Purple would have got inducted earlier if they were called Deep Black. Yes, that's right. True story. That's right. If their lead singer was Pookie Jenkins, they would have been in there a long time ago. You know you know how they got inducted? Like, every year they didn't get inducted, and one guy brought up, hey, you know there's a band member that is name is Blackmore. Oh, we got to <laughs> let him in. True story. Yeah. And that's some, just some sad reverse racism. Fate uh, to Black is what got Metallica in the place. <laughs> Yeah, if it was fade to pink, they'd be sitting outside there with a penny Exactly, Vincent. or fade to deep purple. You know, they'd have to wait. All right, well, here's something we've never done before. We are redoing a past episode. We're redoing our very first episode that lasted all of, like, 17 minutes or some shit. Yeah. But this is an album that we, we knew we had to redo, and we had to redo it right. But we couldn't just do that. We had to give you a little something extra. So not only are we redoing David Lee Ross' full-length solo debut, Eat Him and Smile, we're also doing Skyscraper to fully cover the Steve Vai years of Diamond Dave's solo career. Yeah, there's a uh, David Lee Ross for Steve Vai years. So without further ado, let's do it. All right, this week we're going into uh, what we did before. This is the first time we repeat ourselves again. But, um, Correct. But this time we're going to do a little twist to it. Uh, we're going to review David Lee Roth, the Steve Vai years, where we really just did Eat Em and Smile before, but now we're going to combine it with Skyscraper. Now, 
refresh my memory, Ian, is actually the David Lee Roth review up? Can people hear it? Oh, yeah, pe people can hear it, but it's only 17 minutes long, and we don't even do a track. We, we haven't yet got our format yet. We kind of did an album overview, did not go track by track. A lot of people say it's their favorite Terrence episode because his reviews are like six, 17 seconds long. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, so this one is Terrence-less. Yes, and uh, it just, you know, this is an, an album we really love that we would like to redo. Well, and, you know, and add Skyscraper to, you know, make it a little something extra. We're going to yeah, give gonna, you, you we're know. we're going to do it properly. Right, we're going to do it properly and, you know, to a little... An extra bonus track. We're going to throw in Skyscraper. So we covered the entire Steve Vai era. All right. Well, I got to tell you, the first time I heard this song was Yankee Rose video. This is exactly what I was expecting. Because I remember seeing the classic picture of the first lineup picture of uh, the Eat em and Smile lineup. And there's Billy Sheen and Steve Vai. And I was very well aware of both of them at the time saying, man. This is going to be just mind-blowing, and sure enough, it is. This this is everything I loved about Van Halen, uh, Dave took. Dave took it with him, and uh, you can tell. It's fun. It's, it's rip-roaring, big rock, as he would say, and uh, just pedal to the metal. Fucking mind-blowing album, mind-blowing song. Not a bad song in this album, I think. Uh, love. Well, I'm just talking about Human Smile. Skyscraper, we'll get into that when we get there. Oh my god, uh, same thing here with Yankee Rose. And what a fucking, you know, a first impression of this album. I mean, just huge. The video, huge. You know, especially after, you know, Van Halen put out some lame videos for 5150. I mean, those were I, they, those were worse than the fucking songs. That fucking dreams with fucking uh, the Blue Angels and shit, and you know, and, and the horrible live things where fucking Sammy's got that mop on the top of his head, and, and they're they're wearing like fucking weightlifter pants and shit. And they're oh, doing just, they're was, doing that little walk, kind of like what ZZ Top was doing. Oh, at the, time. the stupidest fucking walk ever. And oh, those god, and those goddamn balloon pants, yeah. Don't get me wrong, David Lee Roth's spandex and shit was pretty ridiculous, but goddamn, those balloon pants were just pink, yeah, but you know, pink balloon pants. Roth can pull it off. <laughs> you know, there's like certain things certain people can pull off look-wise and other people can't. And no matter what fucking Hagar wears, he looks like a fucking clown. And that fucking mop-top haircut didn't fucking help either. And uh, neither did the shitty keyboards. But we're not talking about that crap. Yeah, but you know, I mean, uh, aside from all of that, aside from all of that, it all boils down to the music. And Van Hagar, if they looked as cool as the Eat em and Smile, or if they looked as cool as Motorhead, the music still sucks. Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right, go on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I heard this and immediately fell in love. Now, you know, this era, I kept buying all the albums from both artists because I was such a Van Halen fan, and I was hoping, you know, the Van Halen would get better, that I could enjoy both. But I definitely enjoyed Dave more. Uh, but I, I kept it. The last, you know, Hagar I bought was after, after the live album. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. You're never going to get, you're never going to be as cool as David Lee Roth. You're never going to have that magic again. And... 
just stuck on Team Raw. But out of all the shit that was released post-1984 until uh, Different Kind of Truth, of all the Van Hagar albums, of all the David Lee Roth solo albums, this is the cream of the crop. Nothing else comes close to this. This is like the great Lost in Halen album. I mean, could you imagine if, if, if you took some of the, I guess you could call them best parts of 5150 guitar-wise, and you mix it with the material that Dave had on this, you could have had one of the greatest Van Halen records of all time. True, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess guitar solo wise, but you know, to be honest with you, um, I love 1984. Don't get me wrong, but it was a step, and it was it was leaving the classics. I, I it didn't have that, for the most part, the classic Van Halen. It was already I already hear some 5150 music wise in, you know, songs like which are great songs by the way, like you know. Uh, um, uh, uh, drop Dead Legs and, you know, uh, uh, I'll Wait, and, you know, stuff like that. You know, you hear you hear where Van Halen is going. And then they add Sammy Hagar to the mix. And, and musically, I'm sorry, but the songs really, if you take Sammy Hagar's voice off those songs, I don't really hear anything that, oof, they weren't doing anything for me. And I, you know, again, you know, I you know we always blame Sammy Hagar, but I blame Eddie too, man. You know? Oh yeah, oh definitely, definitely. And and what I will say on that is, I think Dave could have helped balance that a little bit more if he if he would have been on this album, where uh, you know Sammy would go full blown into that fucking direction, you know, because he's just happy to have a fucking job and be in Van Halen. Who, let's be honest, they were the biggest American rock band at the time. Anybody could have sang on 5150 and it would have debuted at number one just because Van Halen, the name, was so huge. It was it was, a, it was a time where anybody could have been fooled. And, you know, honestly, I'll be honest with you, I was curious. I didn't think, oh, no, they got Sammy Hagar. They're going to suck. I didn't think that till I actually heard the album. When I heard uh, this first single, uh, Why Can't This Be Love? I was like, oh, fuck this, you know? And I never, and you know, unlike you, I never did ever buy a Van Hagar album. I never did. I ended uh, up, I have on vinyl, I don't know how. I have 5150 and, and uh, OU812. I have them on vinyl, I never play them, but I do end up having, but I did not pay for these albums, you know? But I do have them. Well, good, good, good. You're, you're better than me. Um, well, no, you know, I don't mean to fucking say this as a dick, but... You and I both know that's true. Oh, fuck. Come on. <laughs> you bought Van Hagar albums, Ian. You went and paid Van Hagar. You put money in Sammy's pocket. In retrospect, how ashamed are you? Well, in, in my defense, it wasn't my money at the time. I made my, I made my parents pay for it. That's even worse, <laughs> man. That's I, even I, worse. I I was a Terrence, but I was fucking 12. Shit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, I, I think you really need... I think Dave and Eddie both need each other. Without each other, both suffer. But as, if you go, you know, you take them apart, this one wins. Hand over fist. This is the album. Let's get into this motherfucker with the fucking first track. Everybody's introduction. 
that Dave is back and fuck you, Van Hagar, and that is Yankee Rose. Holy fucking shit. What an opener. A definite, like, guess who's back in circulation. I don't know what you might have heard. The ultimate fuck you to Van Halen. Uh, and what a band did he pick to back him. Oh, my God. Billy Sheehan, Steve Vai, and Greg Bissonette. I, I mean, I mean, that's a big dilemma. I mean, you leave Van Halen, how are you going to compete with that? You have to have a top-notch band. And, and God damn, did he pick one. And they just knock it out of the park with this song. The video was so iconic. It came out in the summertime. This was all over the radio, all over MTV. An amazing fucking track. What do you think, Ralph? It, it, it's mind-blowing. And it's like... It's like a perfect way to introduce introduce your band. It's like, look, my guitar player can talk with his guitar, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and you know, then you have your little bass. I mean, there's no bass shredding in this tune, but it still has a little bass playing, and you know, Matt Bissonette probably or Greg Bissonette is probably, you know, probably kind of like an unsung hero. He is a good drummer, but he's not like mind blowing like. You know, like Steve I or, or Billy Sheen. So he kind of like keeps the beat down. Kind of like how Van Halen had this amazing guitar player, amazing drummer, but the bass player was in, where his true thing was really the backing vocals. I mean, don't get me wrong. Michael Anthony is an exceptional bass player and very underrated in my opinion. But, you know, word is after the second album, that ain't him on bass. I don't know how true that is. Or or during, from fair warning on, I think it is. Where, come on, man. Are you going to really compare fucking, uh, you know, Billy Sheen to Michael Anthony? <laughs> you know, that's like comparing Sammy Hagar to David Lee Roth, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, but, you know, and Steve I, I'm sorry, I would have to say Eddie destroys him. But Steve I is not a slouch. And come on, we gotta admit, Alex Van Halen is way better than Greg Bissonnette. He did something to drums where you hear his drums. I'm talking about classic Van Halen. By the time Sammy joined, he sounded like the, the fucking drummer of Mr. Mister. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it was like any other 80s pop drummer at the time. It didn't matter. But I think it I think it fucking rules. Uh, this song, it's just crushing. From beginning to end, video is beyond hilarious, and uh, this video was supposed to be like you know that that intro with the little story. David Lee Roth was going to do a movie back then called Crazy from the Heat, and it fell through because of the movie company backed out, or I don't know exactly what happened, but so you know Dave and Pete Angelis came up with the concept of the movie, so they used some of that with um, this video and. Uh, gone, uh, going crazy. You see clips of what would have been the movie for Crazy from the Heat. Uh, I highly recommend you watch this video. If you haven't ever seen it, my ancestors spit on your haircut. That's all I can say. And uh, then it goes into track... My doctor says I need to take a laxative. That's right. And then we go into track two, which was also the B-side. I own the I own the Yankee, Yankee Rose single. And I have nice. that. I have the B side, uh, which is "Shy Boy," but it's also the second track on the album. A song that I was aware of before this album came out because I am a fan of Talis. Uh, "High Speed on Ice" is an amazing album. "Shy Boy" is one of the songs that they did. 
and Dave made it better. He like he wrote the lyrics, he rearranged the lyrics. Musically, it sounds better with Dave, but not not against the Towns version. But boy, Dave really like you know stuck a lightning bolt up this song's ass, and it smokes. And I remember when I saw Steve Vai on the G. G2 tour. Remember those guitar tours just that you yeah, G, G, G3. G3. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw this at Sony. I filmed it too. He opened up with Shy Boy and he had Billy Sheehan there. Ugh. And Billy Sheen sang it. And Billy Sheen's a good singer, man. That guy can sing. And he can hit high notes. He, he was a great replacement as far as harmonies for for Michael. He, he, he could hit those high notes. Anyway, um, Shy Boy. Rips! What a great, 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 amazing fucking song. A song that, you know, in in a real uh, justified planet, would make Van Halen break up. You know, make make Sammy go into hiding. <laughs> this is an awesome track, and you want to talk about a one-two punch? Holy shit! You know, you lead off with Yankee Rose, and then you go into Shy Boy. Oh my God! Uh, and, and Billy Sheehan is, is is really the star on this, but uh, you know, he does some amazing work. You know, Raw totally puts his fucking stamp on it. Uh, just a killer, killer fucking track that Billy Sheehan still plays all the time. Oh man! But th this clip on that that was up on Blabbermouth, and you can find it on YouTube. It's uh, Portnoy on drums, Sheehan on bass. I don't know who's playing guitar, but it's the lead singer from Steel Panther. And, and that dude does the best David Lee Roth ever. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. he he still sounds like David Lee Roth on record. Yeah. I, I, I mean, by far, oh, my God, amazing. And just knocked it out of the park. He does the Dave, you know, the squeals and the screams, and, and, and it was amazing. But just a testament to how this song still stands up these many years after it fucking came out. You know, it, it's just a solid, solid fucking track. And then it leads into another song that I love, Dave through and through, and it's a it's a cover song. I don't know who did it originally, but uh, it's it, this sounds like it could have came straight off of Crazy from the Heat, and it's I'm Easy, and it's just you know it's it's Dave being Dave, uh, you know, and just how much he respects that old style of music, you know, and it's in the vein of just a gigolo and. In that era and everything and it's I love this fucking track always puts a smile on my face and uh, what, what you know and just saying hey I'm gonna fuck any bitch that wants me he goes you know you know like the old saying you know I may not sleep with every woman I, I want but I, I sleep with every woman who wants me <laughs> you know and that's what this song is all about I fucking love it what do you think about these Ralph? very very catchy it does really do the a bridge a gap between this and the EP. It's got the EP vibe, but it rocks harder. Because, you know, after all, look who you got in your band. You know, it's kind of like if Steve Vai and, and, and Billy Sheehan were on uh, Just a Gigolo. You know, it's just, it's a rockified version of that. Uh, but it still clo uh, stays faithful to that old swing type song. Fun, come get me, baby. Get me while I'm hot. Get me while it's hot. You know, it's just awesome. Really, really well executed. Beautiful fucking song. I love this song from beginning and short to the point. And uh, 
in a real world, this song would make Sammy Hagar go into high. Next song. <laughs> What's the next song? The next song is the incredible Ladies Night at Buffalo. Oh, okay. They slow it down a bit here. And, uh, and uh, Dave gets a little philosophical. Uh, yes, it is an amazing song. It kind of like, this is probably, I would say, if you were to ask Dave, and he would actually answer properly for once in his life, I would say this would probably be his favorite song because you hear songs that mirror this all through his solo career. Tell the Truth, um, you know, Nightlife. Uh, you know, he, he always had that bluesy number. Uh, on 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 his albums and uh, this one's great. It's it's um, it's different. It kind of like takes a takes the album on a kind of like a little bit of a turn, just to slow things down a bit. Probably it is the most mellowest track on the album. It's uh, but it's not a power ballad. It's just a bluesy, killer fucking vibey killer song that I, I adore this song. I adore every song on this album. What do you think? Uh, I love it. In fact, it's my second favorite song on the album. Uh, absolutely love it. And even the title is just so, like, Ladies Night in Buffalo. <laughs> you know, like, it sounds it sounds so desperate, but at the same time, he makes it sound so goddamn appealing. This song is so fucking sexy and awesome even with the keys there's a little bit of keys on this there's very little on this album there's a few songs but uh everything works on this you know and this is one of those dave's songs where he just crawls through the fucking microphone and, and tries to fuck you you know and it, it reminds me of uh uh sunburn off of uh, your filthy little oh i just, love that song Oh, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Now, I mean, not the best album, but that song. It's so oh. quiet. It's such a quiet little song. And, like, the, the birds on the phone line. With oh, like yeah. Musical notes. It's so cool, man. Oh, as soon as I heard that song, uh, I was like, oh, my God, I want to bang a chick to this song. And then, like, a week later, I did, and it was awesome. And then we go into the second single off no. the album. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The second single, and and to me this is this is one of his best. Even though a little bit, little bit too much keys on this song, but it kind of it fits with the song, and I absolutely love going crazy. And it's one of the best videos of all time because there's a story that flows through, you know, with the Picasso brothers and shit. And uh, I mean, Dave was such a visionary, so ahead of his time, so like the ultimate frontman and. You know, like what he added to the videos. I mean, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of videos with Van Halen because of the era. But, I mean, look at the videos they did with Dave. And look at what came after. All right, if you think fucking right now is a good video, go fuck yourself. That shit's terrible. I mean, they, they really got some lame-ass yeah. fucking videos. Right but now, you Dave, should go fuck yourself. Thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah, go frickin' frick yourself. But fucking, you know, David Lee Roth man he, he knew how to bring it he put a lot of money into it a lot of thought and that's why these are still classic videos that people love and cherish but even if it's a great video it don't mean shit if the song isn't good and this song is great i'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit than it was chart wise because it's catchy as fuck it is so fun you want to talk about a summertime album 
You know, uh, we have this uh, uh, one guy on the page. I can't remember his name right now, but he's like, "Oh, my summertime albums are Bon Jovi, uh, New Jersey, and Van Halen 5150." And I was like, "You know, does your husband make fun of you in the summertime when you play that shit?" Uh, you know, because to me, this is summertime rock. Real Van Halen, like the ultimate summertime album to me is Van Halen too. I have that, to agree. That, I agree with you 100. percent that is at the beach, you know, at the lake, whatever, you know, awesome album. But, you know, this is a song, too, that has that same vibe that just, like, let's celebrate life. Let's go crazy. Let's, you know, let fuck some chicks and have a great time, man. And, uh, man, killer, killer fucking song. What do you think, Ralph? Uh, fuck yeah. And, you know, uh, looking back on this, you know, just right now, I was thinking while you were saying this, I was thinking... Was there some kind of fucking conspiracy going on back then? Because honestly, how the fuck can 5150 sell more than this? When you have songs like this that was like... Okay, listening back now, it does sound kind of dated, but I still love it. I don't care. I mean, you know, when you listen to like... I'll give you an example. I mean, this is all personal. Musical opinion is personal. But when you listen to Dance the Night Away, it doesn't sound dated. Like, no Van Halen to me sounds dated from the first album to Diver Down. Yeah, I know Diver Down's not ma- loved by many, but I, I worship that album. Big Bad Bill, you know, one love that, it. Oh, God. I mean, like, I love all that shit. Uh, none of that stuff sounds dated to me at all. Going Crazy does a bit, but it's still fun. It's like one of those good dated type songs, you know? And but at the time it wasn't it was for it was at the time it was as commercial as you know I mean as dreams I mean of course dreams is commercial schlop crap but this was still commercial but yet in a better way and yet it didn't do as good as 5150 which makes me feel like maybe there was something going on behind the scenes at Warner Brothers that they well, pushed 5150 more than Dave's album. Well, I do know there, there was some drama at Warner Brothers. Like, Warner Brothers really pushed for uh, for Van Halen, Van Hagar, I should say, to change their name. Because it, it seemed like what they were hoping for is this shit would crash and burn, and the band would get back together. And that's why they told it's like, you know, call it something different. You know, of course, Eddie got real pissed about that. I mean, it's his fucking last name. But, uh, and, and the funny thing is, you know who picked the name Van Halen was fucking Raw. Yep. He, he thought it sounded it a great sound name. But yeah, they wanted Van Halen to change their name because they're like, okay, you guys are just acting like prima donna bitches because you're all huge right now. Get this shit out of your system and come back and we'll have real Van Halen. And unfortunately, that, that didn't happen for a long time to come. But, uh, but I don't know, it's, it's so much a sabotage is, uh, just you know a lot of shit goes with with the name brand you don't see too many lead singers that leave and there's something with the brand name people identify with it they know it uh but man a, a, a lot of people especially in hindsight if you compare the two albums a lot of people now will tell you that of course eat em and smile is the better album because it is yeah i mean come on it's, it's a no-brainer, you know? But there are a lot of people out there that's like, I don't like Van Hagar, but I like 5150. I'm like, ugh, you know, okay. But, yeah, I mean, look, I respect anybody's opinion. I'm just talking on myself. Like, God, 
let, let me put it this way. I guess if going crazy was actually Van Halen with David Lee Roth, then it would have been a, a, a monster hit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I don't think they would have done that. I think at that time, Van Halen wanted to get away from the good time shit. They, they, they you know, I mean, yeah, you're best of both worlds. Little, but they, they were getting a little too serious with dreams. And, and then even when they tried to be like, you know, like party, like good enough, ooh, 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 shit like that, I'm like, ugh. You know, the album starts with hello, baby. It's like, man, why don't you be like the big bopper and get in a plane? <laughs> so, I love it. Uh, yeah, I look at it as uh, a conspiracy because, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's the brand name. And maybe that was, uh, Dave had that against him. That he wasn't, his band wasn't called Van Halen. It was right. a brand new band called David Lee Roth. And you had to prove yourself. Even though right out of the bat, you know, it was successful. I think the album hit like number three or something. Which, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, if Sammy Hagar joined Van Halen and they named it something else, maybe they would have suffered the same fate as Dave. Because they were the biggest band in the planet. You know, that's just the way it was back then. I mean, it doesn't, they were initially gonna do an album with different singers. Phil Collins on one track, Patty yeah. Smythe on another one, you know, and whoever else, Peter Gabriel, whatever the fuck. Man, that would have been a clusterfuck. Well, that that shows you where Eddie's fucking head was at, though. <laughs> you know? Yeah. True. But, uh, all right, we go on to the next track, which is uh, the incredible cover of Tobacco Road. Oh, man. I, I, I love this song. Uh... Again, I don't know who did the original. A lot of bands had covered this song, but Dave really takes it, makes it its own. Great guitar work by Steve Vai. Uh, the whole band's firing in all cylinders. Love Tobacco Road, a great choice. This was almost not on the album. They recorded another cover for this song. I mean, for this album, I don't know if you're aware of this. No, I didn't, I was not aware of what. Uh, it was a, hold on here, let me find my notes. It was a uh, from the Canadian band uh, Max Webster. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, with uh, Kim Mitchell, or, or it might have been a Kim Mitchell solo, but it was a song called "Kids in Action." Okay, I don't and, know. About and, and they recorded it. Wow. Yeah, they, they recorded it, and uh, Billy Sheehan, who was in Max Webster for like three weeks, uh, called up Kim Mitchell and said, "Hey, we can't understand what what are the lines are in the song." You know, uh, I'm covering it right now with David Lee Roth. He goes, can you tell him? And, and he talks about, like, <laughs> Billy hands the phone to Dave, and Kim Mitchell is shaking because he goes, he goes, oh, my God, I'm talking to David Lee Roth. And he, and he says, you know, in the quote, like, he goes, David Lee Roth, there was no bigger rock star at the time. He goes, and I'm like, oh, my God, i got to sit here and tell him what, uh, what the lyric is. But then in the end, it got dropped off the album in place of Tobacco Road. Uh, and so far, it's never been released. It was recorded, but it's never been released. I haven't even seen it on any bootlegs or anything. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It, and there is like a demo thing out there that's pretty terrible, if you ask me. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty horrible. But uh, yeah, oh, well, you learn something every day. All right, uh, Tobacco Road. Fuck yeah. This is a song that um, I remember uh, 
they played on the radio back then. Not as much as Yankee Rose, but I don't even know if it was a single, but it was a, a radio song. And it just kicks all ass. It's fun. Again, the spirit of Van Halen shines all over this album. Uh, the true spirit. And it's, it's just a great, great fucking song with a great, great um, guitar solo from uh, Steve I. Just flooring. Steve I really... You know, I'm, I'm kind of like a hit and miss with Steve I. You know, I like Steve I as a player, but musically, some of his albums are like, eh. But this, to me, is my favorite Steve I album that features Steve I. I, I did like Passion of Warfare a lot. I know that one's his popular thing, but I thought he did a damn fine job on that one. I liked his Alcatraz album, but Eat Him and Smile. And this is a prime example of fucking uh, Tobacco Road. You know, it's, it's kind of like Steve I being a little tamed, and I like that. Then we go into Elephant Gun, which, uh, fuck, this one's rip-roaring. This one is kind of like, hey, look how mind-blowing uh, Billy Sheehan is. Because when, you, you know, that fucking verse, every, uh, looks like a lady. You hear this lightning speed bass playing going on that's just out of this fucking planet. Off the charts. Yeah, this is where Dave said, let's go in there and just do a rip-roaring fast-ass motherfucking song to show off your musical abilities. And at the same time, it didn't suffer from the song. I thought the song benefited from this fastness. I don't think there's a bad song on this whole album. And this one is amazing. And I remember back in the day when this album came out, you know, all my friends were like, Elephant Gun, bro. You know, because it was, the, it was the, the age of the guitar hero. So it's like Elephant Gun. So uh, I love this song, Elephant Gun. What do you think? Uh, Fast and Furious Rocker. Uh, it's my second least favorite song on the album, though. Uh, I, I love, like, I love the power and the attack of this song. But at, like, two minutes, well, it's like two minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, it kind of feels a little bit underdeveloped. Like, they could have spent a little bit more time on it and maybe come up with something a little bit more. But uh, but I, I, I still love the energy of this. I mean, maybe it's just like, you know, shooting it all at once, almost like a punk-type song. You know, it, it's so fast and furious, you know, it blows up before it has time to evolve. Uh, I still love this song, but it, it is my second least favorite. All right, going to the next one. All right, the next song is my favorite album, my, my favorite song on the whole album, and that is Big Trouble. Uh, just fucking amazing. Uh, so cool and sexy. Now, Van Halen had a song called Big Trouble. That Which turned into Big River. Turned, it, turned into Big River. And, uh, but this one, uh, I, I love the lyrics. I don't even get it, you know, uh, some blue and mighty mouse, you know, you know, it's something like it's such a weird fucking song lyrically, but just the way it's delivered, uh, it's so cool, so sexy. Uh, there's just something about this song, and, I, and I'm surprised that it doesn't get talked about more than it is, because this this really rings Van Halen to me. I can really see this on a Van Halen record, and uh, shit, I would love to hear this whole album done with Van Halen you know, you know just maybe it wouldn't be better maybe it would I, I I don't know but man 
the quality of these songs is so good and man if they could have kept their shit together uh, this could have been you know a bounce back from 84 even you know i love 84 but i agree with a lot of stuff you say too it's you know compared to the other ones it's not as great but it did have standout tracks but this one could have been holy shit you know the one that made the big band in, in the planet uh but I absolutely love this song. Favorite track on the record. What do you think, Ralph? Uh, I love this song as well. Not my favorite, uh, but it is nothing wrong with it. Uh, yeah, the, the the whole lyric structure is is uh, pretty out there. But, you know, it's fucking cool. It's classic Dave. Um, what you were saying earlier, you would love to hear Van Halen record this. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with this album. I think this album is perfect the way it is. But honestly, if Van Halen, the Van Halen of A Different Kind of Truth with the David Lee Roth of Eat em and Smile were to make this album, I think it would be better. And, yeah. and, and as flawless as Eat em and Smile is, if you add the genius that is Edward Van Halen with the classic drumming of that, that, that Van Halen 2 drumming sound... And, you know, Wolfie's fucking great fucking bass player because he is very underrated. Or, fuck it, throw in Michael Anthony. I don't care. Either one. Uh, I think they can even make this perfect album even better. Because I feel like Van Halen is just, there's something magical about that fucking band. You know, the classic six-pack stuff, man, when they were all firing all cylinders. Uh, they did no wrong. They just had this fucking sound. And... And, and and every all four of them, man. Michael is just as important as Dave, is just as important as Alex, is just as important as Eddie. Eddie gets all the fame and shit, but I think it's 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 a drag that Alex is kind of like in his shadow a bit. Because Alex to me is 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 a revolutionary drummer, I feel. You know, there's not a lot of drummers you can listen to and go, Oh, I know who that is. But you know, there's like John Bonham. Alex Van Halen and and who else? I don't know. I'm sure there's other ones, but I'm oh uh, Neil Peart and but you know I mean but still uh, going back to Big Trouble. Yeah, I love it. It's good. It's a it's it's kind of like a highlight for Steve I on this one. Good playing on him. Nice little shreddy solo. Uh, I dig it. Then it goes into is it Bump and Grind? Yes, sir. All right, Bump and Grind to me, probably one of my favorite tracks on the album. I think it's Dave's way of saying, oh, you think Motley's sleazy? You know, I'm going to give you some fucking fuck music right now. Because that was of the time. At that time, Motley was the biggest band, and they were known as sleaze rock, you know, talking about fucking chicks. And then just Dave's way of saying, all right, I'm going to write my own take on, you know, you know, my, you know, because Dave has, like, touched upon, like, you know, your center swing and dirty movies, you know, where he's talked about slutty chicks and stuff, but not as much as crew. Where this one kind of has it, it has that nasty, sleazy groove to it, that nasty riff, da -da 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 -da. it's just, I think probably the most underrated track on the album, and probably the most underrated track in Daily Raw solo discography, Bump and Grind. I love this song. Adore it. What do you think? Uh, I, I love it. It's a it's a great suck me, fuck me song. Uh, you definitely hit on that. Uh, my mother loves this song. 
because she says it reminds her of you because it's over in two minutes and 42 seconds. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, she, she's giving me too much credit there. <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's good. It, it's not my favorite out here, but man, I, I, I do love it. And it just is a real sleazy, awesome song. Interesting side note, uh, you know, as some people may or may not know, this album was recorded all in Spanish. I have and, and it on was, vinyl. I have it on vinyl and on CD, where if you go on our Amazon link, you can get that CD for dirt cheap on uh, Amazon. And I highly recommend it because it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, you can get it for pesos. Yeah. Uh, but it was actually Billy Sheehan's idea wow. because he was he was telling Dave what a big market the uh, Latino public was, especially in hard rock. And he's like, "Hey, man, we did that. so uh, Dave did it with, with aid of a Spanish tutor. Uh, you know, Dave does speak a few languages. You know, he speaks fluent Japanese now, but he also learned Spanish just to do this." Now, there are some Spanish people who slammed it, calling it gringo Spanish. That it wasn't you know, 100% authentic. And he did change some of the lyrics, uh, specifically on this song, because it was deemed that uh, they were a little bit more, uh, could be offended easier. You, you know, the, you know, didn't want to uh, offend any Catholic sensibilities, I guess. But, uh, yeah, this is the one song he changed the lyrics to a little bit, but Yes, you can get this album fully in Spanish. And I'm sure that drives Donald Trump fucking mad. <laughs> okay, uh, and uh, take the last track. All right, and the last one is his cover of the, uh, you know, the Frank Sinatra classic, uh, That's Life. And with it, it's so Dave, and I get the sentiment, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm out of Van Halen, but you know what? Fuck it, life goes on. Um, but it kind of reminds me, not as bad, but it kind of reminds me of Gene Simmons doing uh, When You Wish Upon a Star on his solo album. Uh, I, I get something to you, you're saying something, a little bon voyage to the past, and you're not going to get knocked down. But, man, with a band of this caliber, I would have loved another original. I... I still dig it. I don't skip it, but man, I, I would have what I would have get for another uh, Yankee Rose or another Big Trouble. But it, it is kind of a cool way to end the record. What do you think, Ralph? Oh, I love it. I I, I, I wouldn't change it. I, 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 I want it to stay as it is because uh, you know I guess because of my love for Diver Down. You know, Diver Down is mostly covers too. You know, it's like man, if the song's good, the song's good. And again, just like it's easy, this is a uh, a nice bridge with just a jiggle of the EP to this one. Um, I love the song. I love the video. The video is like, hi, this is Dave. And I want to talk to you a little bit about life. And it goes into <laughs> that. It goes into like a montage of, you know, the 1984 videos and the stuff during the Eat Him and Smile era. And the creatures from the Eat. I think it's a great, fun fucking song. Way better than Frank Sinatra. I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for that, but fuck you, Frank Sinatra fans. And, um, uh, I love it. You know, and now going through this album, now that many years has gone by, and I've gone through this album a quadrillion times, I would have to, you said your favorite song is Big Trouble. 
Yes, mine, sir. mine would be, and this is kind of weird because I never thought this would be my favorite song all these years. But my favorite song on the album is "It's Easy." Awesome. Hey, I get a fault you for nothing on this one. I think I love that song the most. Or I'm easy, right? Tell me. Yeah, yeah, I'm easy. Uh, yeah. Now you know, going because I did listen to this album actually last night. You know, I, I, most of our reviews, I don't really listen to the album because, you know, I have it in my DNA, like this one, but I was just in the mood. I was like, fuck it, I haven't heard of you and smile in a while. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. Maybe put it on. So I did, and uh, God, I love this song. Uh, uh, it, it's easy. Uh, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, man, this song, it's just, it just the swagger of it is like, it hits me like any, uh, no other song on this album, and every song on this album rules. All right, this album was released July 7th, 1986. It made it to number four on the Billboard charts. And also, the singles from this did pretty damn good. Uh, Yankee Rose made it to number 16 on the Hot 100 chart, made it to number 10 on the Mainstream chart. Tobacco Road made it to 10 on the Rock charts. Uh, That's Life made it to 85 on the Billboard Hot 100. And Going Crazy made it to number 12 on the mainstream rock charts and 66 on the uh, Billboard Hot 100. This album, I did believe, uh, has gone double or triple platinum. And, uh, man, a, a lot of a lot of people, when they look back on this, they say, wow, you know, this had everything that 5150 was missing. You know, in the rawness and the fun where 5150 was far too slick and uh, much more of a neutered Van Halen, if you will. But uh, that's it, and uh, now we go into the next album, which is Skyscraper. All right, well, now let's go into the second album, Skyscraper, uh, featuring the same lineup, but oddly enough, Billy Sheehan left the band right, I think, even before the album came out. He was out. Yeah. Yes. But yes. he played on the album... Yes, he did. Very, very, very extremely disappointing for me. You know, the after effects of this album really hurt him. And um, I don't know. It, it's just too all over the place. It's too keyboard friendly. It's too radio friendly. I feel David did kind of, uh, you know, um, put his uh, integrity on hold and kind of like, made music for the man that's how i feel about this album some of the songs also another thing that bothers me about this album is that some of the songs are really good but the production kills it for me uh but before we go into the songs because uh, i'll name those songs that are really good really great songs but production wise they're fucking they're terrible and i'm not even i know you're a production type guy i'm not I could care less what shit sounds like, but sometimes, you know, they go a little too overboard with the production, and this album suffers it, like, almost all the way through it. So, uh, and you will be quite surprised what's my favorite track off it. Uh, something nobody talks about, really. I mean, actually, two favorite tracks off this album are two songs that are not really talked about, though, one of them was almost a video, because I remember, I don't, I don't know if you remember back in the day, MTV's had video news. Oh, so-and-so artist is working on a video for this song. 
and that song. And they had David Lee Roth was working for a video for this song, which happens to be tied for my favorite song on the album. And that, the video was never done. Anyway, okay, so I was very disappointed and extremely disappointed in the tour as well. I didn't think the tour was that great either. It was kind of lame, actually. But go ahead, Ian. Uh, all right, well, my first uh, exposure to this album was the New Year's Day premiere of Just Like Paradise. That was a huge thing on MTV. New Year's Day 1987. You know, they repeat it like every hour was the video for Just Like Paradise. Just uh, just to cut you off for a second, they did the same thing with Jump. Yeah. Jump was premiered on New Year's Eve of uh, 1984, uh, 83 going into 84. And boy, they showed Jump on every hour that, that day, New Year's Day. Right. Well, they, they, they did that with Just Like Paradise. And at the time, I'm not going to lie, I love the fucking song. But, I mean, if you look at popular music when this came out in 88, it sounded a lot like it. I mean, music was really, you know, you look at what was on the charts back then. And listen to how keyboard heavy and everything it was. It didn't seem out of place. But where I think the sound really suffers is I think I think Dave took kind of really to heart that 5150 did better than Eat Him and Smile. And I think for the first time, he might have second-guessed himself. Totally. You know, like, like, oh, well, wait a minute. Those guys went keyboard-heavy. Maybe that's what I got to do because I got to beat them motherfuckers. So him trying to beat him at his own game, and he changed his style. And, you know, Billy Sheehan left because he didn't like the direction of this. He said it was way, way too keyboard-heavy. And he kept telling Dave. He, he thought as much. Plus, you know, he didn't have Ted Templeman producing this. Dave and Steve Vai did it themselves. And Dave had a vision for this album where he wanted to combine, like, dance music and pop music with, with you know, what he called big rock. And he was trying to do something. I, I'll give him that. But uh, I think he should have stayed doing what he was doing because it worked so well on Eat Him and Smile. And I'm going to say right now, I think every song on here is good in and of itself. But I think almost every song is ruined by the production, by keyboards, by horns. And I, I think it was just he was trying too much to compete with Van Halen. With Van Hagar, I should say. And, uh, you know, drugs could have came into it. Also not having a producer to bounce ideas off of. I think... There's very few bands that produce themselves, in my opinion, that pull it off. I really think you need somebody to tell you no every once in a while. Or you could suffer this same fate. But uh, let's get into this motherfucker and we'll start off with the first track, which is Knuckle Bones. Oh my god. I love this. I, I love Knuckle Bones. Bye sounds great on this. Uh... But man, this is something you're going to hear me say in almost every fucking song. Too much fucking keyboards. Too overproduced. But man, uh, Knuckle Bones is a great song. This could have been such a fucking heavy rocker and another great opener. Uh, this was also used for an old MTV show called The Big Picture, where they talked about movies and stuff, and this was the theme to it. Uh, a, a great track that is murdered by... Brett Tuggle, 
uh, who's a co-writer on three songs on this album, and played keyboards on the album, on the tour, and uh, just, oh, God, it's it's so of the time. But once again, if you go back to, to 88 and listen to what was on the radio and what was going on in hard rock and heavy metal, a lot of metal bands were putting too much of this shit into their stuff to, to keep current. And uh, while I love this song, it could be so much better. What do you think, Ralph? I agree with you as far as like like what I was saying earlier, production that ruined great songs. This one is a prime example of it. They did play this live, and I did I you know, and I remember vividly them playing this live. It went over better live than it does on album. And the rawness to keep this song raw is what it needs. It needs that Ted Templeman eat him and smile production to to really shine because this song has all the elements that fucking rule, but. In the end, it, it, it suffers from bad, bad uh, production. I love the the, the opening riff. It's cool. It's awesome. I love it. Billy Sheen doesn't seems to be non-existent, and that's probably why he left this fucking uh, band. Because for the most part, there is a little doodly on my favorite track on the album from from uh, Billy Sheen, but for the most part, he's just being Michael Anthony, and I'm sure he wasn't happy about that. Uh, aside from, you know, the musical direction too, which is just so out there. But this is one of the songs that I do like on the album, but another one of those songs that I like, but the production just ruins it. Alright, so I'll go into the second track which uh, which you love, and I hate it. When I first heard this song, I was like, what the fuck is Dave doing? What is this? What? It sounds like Van Hagar to me. It's it's just so happy and horrible um funny thing about this song was many years later uh when fox uh developed a hit popular show uh 90210 beverly hills 91210 they wanted to use this song as the theme song to the show but it was brought to Dave's management and Dave's management turned it down. And Dave didn't know this at the time. So when Dave um, Dave caught wind of this, like years after the fact, he got really mad at the management because he would have okayed it. And if this was the theme song to Beverly Hills 90210, it would have, you know, it would have really... Uh, kept his bank account healthier than than uh, your filthy metal little mouth did. So that's a little backstory on this song. Uh, I really don't like Just Like Paradise. I felt like this was a career killer. Along with the next video was just as bad. But go ahead. Ian. What do you think? All right. Well, you touched on what I was going to bring up with the whole 90210. And uh, I got to admit, when this song came out, I loved it. Uh, but but now it's it's almost cringeworthy, and I, I still I think like lyrically and the spirit of the song is classic Dave, classic Van Halen. But man, with all the other shit thrown in, it just neuters the fuck out of it. It just neuters it. But again, I think he was once again his ego couldn't handle fifty one fifty doing better chart wise. And, and, and he was trying to compete like, well, I'll out-pussy you. And, and, and this song, 
You know, he did, but this was a hit. You know, it, it went to number six on on the Hot 100 chart, and uh, number one on the Rock Mainstream chart. So it was a hit, but there also was a backlash as well. I I, I totally agree on that. Uh, yeah, it, th- it killed it for me. It really did. What do you think of the next one, Ralph? What's the next one called? Um, bottom line, right? Yes, bottom line. Uh, bottom line, like like Knucklebones, the same thing. Great song. Awesome song ruined by... The production is just too slick. It doesn't have the... It's kind of like shaved balls. There's no hairs on it. This actually was the song that opened the show. The Skyscraper show was open with bottom line. That's this is the song that started the show. And uh, I don't know, man. It was just... I, I love the song. I hate the production. Just like Knucklebones, it, it pretty much mirrors what I feel about M- Knucklebones. What do you think? Uh, yeah, we're gonna sound like a broken record on this album because it's the same thing again. It's a great rocker that is killed by the keys, and the lyrics are great on this song. I, I mean, Dave always brings it with the fucking lyrics, but bottom line is fucking awesome. And this, I, I could have heard this on. Uh, fucking uh, Diver Down and what would have been fucking amazing but the, the keys just fucking kill it neutered as all fuck but then we go into the title track which uh, I love this song I, I, I think it's a great song but it's a kitchen sink song you know by everything is thrown into this fucking song I, I mean, god damn, I don't know if there's a, you know, an instrument or some kind of fucking keyboard thing that isn't thrown in, but there's something about the song I really dig. It's really different, too, uh, but there's something about it. I, I love the vocals on the song. Uh, really, really good track, but uh, kind of sounds out of place, and <laughs> that's hard to say on this album, but... It, it, it sounds out of place, but uh, I, I think it's an amazing song that, that, man, when you listen to it on headphones, kind of takes you somewhere. And, and I, I dig it, but uh, still, too much keyboard, but I, I do love this song. What do you think, Ralph? Absolutely nothing I like about this song whatsoever. Nothing. I hate it. It's horrible from beginning to end. Nothing grabs me. I don't like it. It's fucking pathetic. I don't even know what the fuck he's trying to accomplish here. Is he trying to be Frank Zappa-ish? I don't know. I don't get it. It's like, hey, look, my guitar player was in Frank Zappa, so let's bring some of that element in it. No, Dave, you're not Frank Zappa. You're David Lee fucking Roth. Okay? I don't want to hear you trying to be avant-garde. It just doesn't work. I don't like avant-garde to start with. If, if you're not Frank Zappa, I don't care. And, you know... I, there's some Frank Zappa I don't like, and let me tell you something. If Frank Zappa was to do a song like this, I wouldn't like it. I don't <laughs> like this song at all. Terrible, terrible, and very sad. What's the next song? The next song is probably tied for my favorite on the album, and that is "Damn Good." Uh, okay, man, I Steve Vai shines on this song. Uh, awesome. This made it to number two on the rock charts. Uh, but it's funny. It's, it's, it says it made it to number two on the rock charts, 
but I never remember hearing this once on radio. At least I not in, at least not in the stations that you know I heard growing up. But uh, what a fucking song! And I can't help but think this is a lament, you know, over the demise of Van Halen and and him missing it once it was gone. And and maybe not just you know popularity wise, but missing the you know camaraderie with the guy. How sad it is that it's gone. But uh, an amazing track. Like I said, tied for my album. Absolutely love damn good. What do you think, brother? Uh, it's it's whatever. I do remember hearing this on the radio. That's uh, you know, I really have much not more much more to say about this one. What's next? Hot dog and a shake. Uh, yes. All right, hot dog and a shake, which is really fucking even even for Dave, it's cheese as fuck. Was played live. I see he did play this one. Hot dog and a shake. I remember in old. David Lee Roth interviews, he, he he would say that line. He would say, oh, I'd see this girl. i go, hey, baby, you got a hot dog to go with that shake? So, you know, so then he took that and made a song out of it. It's all right. Uh, you know, if I was to rack up the top five songs, this one would make it, even though it's cheesy as fuck. What do you think? Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, death by keys, dude. Death by keys. Uh, the keyboards ruined this fucking song. It, to me, it's a filler song to begin with, but uh, the the keyboards is what stops it from being killer filler. It's just I don't know, man. The, the, this album makes this album makes me sad because uh, it could have been someone. I would love to go in the studio, you know, like somebody uh, did Injustice for All, you know, and they added bass to it. <laughs> you know, I would like to go in the studio and wipe away all keys and horns from this album. And, and yeah, to oh it. yeah. Then I would probably like it actually. Oh yeah, because I mean, lyr- lyrics are good as always from Dave, and and there's some great feelings. But man, if I could erase all, you know, just you know, desanitize this motherfucker and throw some germs on it, I think we'd have a great fucking album. But uh, but as we have it now, it's 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 far from a great album. And then we go into the second single from the album. Stand up. Uh, half of this song I love, and the other half I hate. And uh, my other note is "fuck you keyboards," because this is a, this is catchy. This could have been this could have been a good hit single, but it was so like uh, neutered and uh, you know just I don't know. It's like uh, trying to. Comp- with Paul Abdul, even though you know it didn't come out yet, but you know it's it's that kind of shit, you know. But then it kind of goes back to what Billy Sheehan was saying that Dave was trying to do with this record was do something that's like you know dance music meets big rock music, you know, with all kinds. Of, I don't know. It, it, it's just a fucking mess. I can't. I don't know. I'm really torn. There's a lot of shit I hate about this song, but uh, there's certain stuff that I love too. But overall. It's it's a swing and a miss. What do you think, Ralph? Terrible, terrible, terrible. Nothing I like about this song from beginning to end. It sucks. It's horrible, and the video matches how stupid it is. Because the video is like, whoa, man, what the fuck is this crap? A bunch of like cardboard buildings. Another reason why this, you know, the backlash that people just saw Daily Roth 
or whatever. You know, without Van Halen, you suck. Because uh, that's what that you know that's what this album should have been called. Without Van Halen, I suck. Um, which is unfortunate because I really love the next album, which we should review. Because I thought the next album was like back to back to basics. Anyway, I hate this song. What's next? Hina is Hina next? Hina is next. All right, Hina. What an amazing guitar solo on Hina. I love this guitar solo. This is like one of Steve, one of my favorite Steve Vai's guitar solos ever. Surrounded by a really shitty song. I hate this song. Great guitar solo, but I hate the song. What do you think, Ian? Uh, tied for my favorite track on the album. I absolutely <laughs> love, love Hina. Uh... Again, I I, I, th- I think it's Sexy Dave, and uh, to me, it's right there with, uh, you know, Ladies Night in Buffalo and Sunburn and uh, Tell the Truth and his other bluesy ballader songs. Uh, I, I, I love Hina. I, I, I think this is where he hits the mark on what he was trying to do with this album. Uh, definitely a standout track, in my opinion. Love it. Sorry you didn't enjoy it. All right, what, what, what's the next one? All right, the next song is uh, Perfect Timing. And this is the uh, the last song that he wrote with uh, Brett Tuggle, the keyboard player, who he wrote uh, Just Like Paradise and Stand Up, and also wrote the song Perfect Timing. Uh, again, to me, it's a great song if it was stripped down. You know, the... the the basics here are awesome, but the, this is just shitty. What do you think? Well, this is my favorite song on the on the album, um, and I actually don't even mind the, the shitty production to it. You know, you hear a little Morse code thing going on during it. I try yeah. to send a message, and this is a song where they said on MTV he was making a video for, it, which never happened. I have a, I think this song could have saved his career. Because it's very catchy, much more catchier than Just Like Paradise. Less cheesy, a little more ballsy, but it's, it's, I love this song. I've always loved this song, and he did not play this live, which was unfortunate. But this is a great, great song. My favorite on the album. Uh, but it's also tied for my favorite with the last track. Oh, man, the, I, I don't know. Maybe the last track I even like more. Um, which is uh, Two Fools Born a Minute. Which I, 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 some, I've done this several times on Facebook. I, I take that little quote from the song and I put it on my, on my status. It says, uh, see you in the funny papers. That's where I'll be. They say Two Fools Born a Minute. Guess that makes me three. Genius. That's classic, Dave. And I want to say a funny thing. This is a true story. When I first bought this album, I got really stoned. I got high. And I'm in my room with the headphones listening to this album. And I swear to you, I'm not lying. When this song's on, I'm just like, I'm beyond stoned. That was some good weed. And I'm just staring at the stereo. And Dave says in the song, Stop staring at your stereo, fool. (laughs) True story. That actually happened. And I also love the part where he goes, I gotta be home before the record's done. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, and it's got that swagger. It also has, you know, 
I like I love the part where the horns hit that high note and then Steve Vai creeps in. And you know me, I don't like horns. But on this song, it fits perfectly. I love it. It even has a little horn solo in it that I dig. And there's a little bit of Vi ripping, you know, Vi all over the fucking fretboard. Um, favorite track off the album, Two Fools Born a Minute. Great way to end a shitty album. I, I, I love this song. It's total day, but lose the fucking horns and the keys for me on this song. Uh, but I love all the little Daveisms on it. You know, the, I love the, um, uh, you know, the little shit he's saying in the background. You know, like, hey, how many people can even fit in this car? You know, like, hey, Billy, you need to drive. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's awesome. But again, it's just murdered by Brett Tuggle and his fucking keyboards. And you know, um, you know, and I, I know you like I, I know you like the next album a little ain't enough. Uh, you definitely like it more than me. Um, I think he does a little less of that on that album, but still a little bit. I, I hate the production on that album. You know, Bob Rock strikes again. We definitely got to review that one. Okay, yeah, I would, I would love. I'll review every Dave album. I don't care whether I like it or That's, not. That 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 is one of those albums that I would look forward to review. You know, like a lot of my my favorite subject on our podcast are doing those albums that wasn't really well received that you right. love or that I love, you know? Right. And that's definitely one of them. I felt like that one fell way beyond the radar, but I blame that on uh, Skyscraper because by the time, you know, I remember, and I gotta, I gotta bring this up, when he did that tour, uh, I saw the tour, it was with Extreme, oddly enough, and Cinderella. And I remember he yeah. was playing the Miami, he was playing, he was playing the Miami Arena and there was a guy going, oh my God, Daily Roth, really? At that time, he was a joke. Nobody cared anymore. And he was like, you know, out of flavor at the time. But I still loved it. And I felt like Little Enough was like a, a return to form. It was, yeah, it had a little bit of slickness here and there. It would shoot it and stuff like that. But for the most part, it fucking rocked, man. Baby's on fire. Fucking Showtime. Jason Becker. I mean, it's a fucking great album that I hope to do one day. But... Uh, let's uh, wind this out. Uh, give us some facts about uh, uh, the, the skyscraper fiasco. All right, the skyscraper fiasco. Uh, it came out January 26, 1988. Uh, made it to number six on the charts and did go platinum. And, uh, you know, you can find the sales of this Little Ain't Enough and uh, Eat Em and Smile. <laughs> Sold more than all of Sammy Hagar's discography. I love Thank that you. fact. Yeah, and I remember, I remember, I wasn't aware of that fact when, uh, I, you, we all know him. The Sammy Hagar fan told me, "Well, Sammy Hagar sold more albums than Dave Solowise," and I was like, "Oh, really? I wasn't sure. I thought, yeah, maybe he's got a fact because you know, after all, Sammy Hagar has a gajillion albums where Dave only has four or five. Right. But I, I, I go, but let me check. I'm not, you know. And when I looked, I go, yeah, that's <laughs> not true. Dave even outsold him. And he and he did, like, not even a quarter of many albums as yeah. uh, Sammy Hagar did. Yeah, I, I love that. With a third of the albums, he, he fucking still beat him in, in solo sales. So suck on that, fucking Batman Miller fans. Uh, even though we both agree this isn't a great album, uh, we both David Lee Roth. Uh, you know, this could have been so much better. It's a shame it wasn't. And uh, 
and it broke up what was a great band, you know, the original David Lee Ross solo band. And, uh, you know, we'll get into it when eventually we review A Little Ain't Enough, but to me, Jason Becker's guitar work doesn't hold a candle to, to Steve Vai, and I think he was the wrong guitar player for that, him and Steve Hunter. But anyway, we're talking about this album. Uh, it, was, it was still a hit, you know, it was still a platinum album, but it's one of those, like, everybody bought it initially, but then was disappointed. And it did. It, you know, it, it hurt his career. And it was him, in my opinion, trying to keep up with Van Hagar. But uh, I, I love David Lee Roth. You know, he can do no wrong even when he does do wrong. But I, I'll admit, when he when he falters, and he definitely faltered on this. And, uh... Alrighty, well, now it's time to go into Pick of the Week. Ralph, are you prepared? Hell no. Alright. Well, I'll go into my pick of the week, and it's something I, I, I know, I just know Ralph is going to fucking hate. Why do you do this? Oh, well, because uh, I just got a feeling you're not going to like this album, but I like it. It, it. it is a Odd and Sods record by Jane's Addiction. Yeah, I don't like that band. Yeah, and it's called Kettle Whistle. And it has, you know, some old demos, some live stuff, some old tracks that were re-recorded, uh, you know, with new bass by Flea at the time. And uh, I really dig it. To me, it's the last Janes I really gave a fuck about because all the reunion albums that followed this uh, without Eric Avery, I really didn't give a shit about. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a, a shell of what they used to be. But this album, I think, is definitely worth picking up, you know, and I just love that it's all over the place and mixes the live with the demos, and it's got a good, weird kind of flow to it. Uh, if you like Jane's Addictions, check out uh, Kettle Whistle. It's my pick of the week. All right, my uh, pick of the week is, uh, yeah, I guess they're a joke to many people. Brings out the racism in people when you mention this band. Um, people refer them as Rowness. Uh, 1985's Thunder in the East by Loudness is an album that I love from beginning to end. There's something about Akira Takasaki's guitar playing, one of the greatest tones I ever heard. It's so sharp and to the point, it's so amazing. And I think the songs on that album are really great. Yeah, the singer has this heavy accent. We could be together, walk and roll crazy now. Yeah, okay, I know a lot of people find that as jokey. I find that as kick-ass. Hey, I love the Scorpions and Claws as an accent. You know, it's like, come on, man, I mean, all right, love it or not, whatever. It doesn't matter. That, hey, I respect your opinion. But me, I think it's an amazing album. One of the best albums to come out that year. I think it was 85 or maybe it was 86. But I, was, uh, it, I, I, I thought it was 84. Oh, I could be totally wrong on that. It was the first album in my predictions to fail. Because I predicted Def Leppard be huge. I, every band that was huge in the 80s, I predicted before they became huge. Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, you know, I just, I was really good at predicting shit that was going to take off, Scorpions, and I thought Loudness was going to be the next thing, and that was the first time I was ever wrong, but I still feel that album has held up great, Lines Are Down, great fucking album, I'd like to review that one one day, Getaway, Like Hell, Heavy Chains, fuck, that album rules, man, I love it, that is my pick of the week. 
Loudness, Thunder in the East. All right. Check it out. That is, that is, a, that is a good album. Uh, now we got to go into Fan of the Week. And that is Andy Bowman or Bowman. I, I'm, I'm sorry if I get that wrong. Uh, but you are a Fan of the Week, Andy. You've added a lot to the page. I uh, love seeing all your posts, all your comments. And that's what we always ask for. When you join the page, become part of it. And Andy, you have definitely done that. Therefore, you are our fan of the week. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, and we know you have, come back next week. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm almost intimidated about this. The piano man himself, Billy Joel, is going to join us in the studio. you got to be shitting me. No, 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 no. And he, he sent me an email. He says, hey, man, I love what you do. I want to be on the show. Is there any way I could come on and we talk about the Slayer EP, Haunting the Chapel? And I'm like, That's Billy, awesome. whatever you want to do, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan. You want to talk about Haunting the Chapel? We're going to do it. So next week, come back for the Piano Man on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Yeah, show up early because that's going to be a real short episode. Hey, yeah. We only talk about three songs.